passing down the avenue I'm hiding out in the big city blinking What was I thinking when I let go of you? Hey, alright! Welcome to a very special episode number 132 of the Betty It Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better yet, is usually a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence writing and being around, but this week, we are here to talk about all of God's money, our compilation and tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is out today and available for download for $5 or more over on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. The proceeds from that will benefit AIDS Foundation of Chicago, an organization that helps to service those in our city living with HIV AIDS. This compilation was nearly a two-year journey, and I'll say, all things considered, I managed to maintain a level of minimal stress over that time. Somehow, still... It took us a while to get here, but we're here. We'll talk about the comp today. We'll play it. We'll get some old friends to come over and talk. We'll have a lot of fun. Let's start by thanking our sponsor for this week, Gold Flake Paint. Our friend Tom Johnson has moved his baby, one of the best music publications on the internet, and turned it into a stunning physical journal, holding true to his form of in-depth music writing from the heart, across more than a hundred beautifully designed pages. It presents a space for music consumption and curation away from the incessant buzz of the internet via a series of conversations, recommendations, and personal essays. So far, the journal has spoken with the likes of Mitski, Sharon Van Etten, Big Thief, Jamila Woods, Lucy Dacus, Connor Oberst, and Phoebe Bridgers, Laura Stevenson, who's gonna play a prominent role in today's episode, David Bazan, Charlie Bliss, The Mountain Goats, and so much more available online and in selected stores. There will be four issues of a music journal released throughout 2019 available to buy as a standalone copy or as a full subscription. For more information, head over to goldflakepaint.co.uk or the Gold Flake Paint Bandcamp store, Gold Flake Paint bandcamp.com slash merch use the discount code better yet pod for 10 percent off any order that's better yet pod all one word and here we go all of god's money is a tribute to wilco's fourth lp yankee hotel foxtrot it features 13 covers from some of our old friends over here on better yet and what I'd like to do today is, before we get into playing the songs, I'd just like to talk to you about how this came to be. Not just a compilation, but a compilation in tribute to this record. And my journey with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and with Wilco, which to begin, I guess we'd start at the place where we always begin things on this show the music that was in the house growing up. Though, when it comes to Wilco, the more apt space would be the car. My dad was a mixtape guy. 
and every travel soccer game or drive from central New Jersey to Allentown, Pennsylvania to visit my grandparents was an excuse for my dad to make a new tape. This is where I first heard Teenage Fan Club, The Posies, Super Tracks, music that shaped me and my identity. But as we moved from the mid-90s to the beginning of the late 90s, there was this influx in twang, which as well initiated as I was into realms of music where you wouldn't find most 11-year-olds, twang, country music, was not cool. I loved Lucinda Williams, but then I started to hear her paired with Steve Earle and bands like the Bottle Rockets and Whiskey Town, and it was during that whole crop, this influx of country music, I remember hearing Wilco for the first time. This was Being There era. Wilco was a band, though, that managed to stand out from all of this, partially because Jeff Tweedy's voice was decidedly not country, but also the featured tracks at that time in my dad's tapes were rockers, like Out of Sight, Out of Mind, Monday, Box Full of Letters, which were acceptable by my standards. I remember my dad saying, one day you'll realize that country music is cool, which crossed the line, but in this too, he was right. But long before I came around to country music, Wilco was moving past it a couple years Later, we moved to Illinois and a song that was heavily played on 93XRT in Chicago that first summer we were here was one that I'd also hear a lot on the new CD player in my dad's car. It was called Can't Stand It, the first song from Summer Teeth, which I know we're doing this whole Yankee Hotel Foxtrot thing, but Summer Teeth's actually my favorite vocal record, but we'll get into the reasons why we're not doing a Summer Teeth compilation. Can't Stand It, though, is an interesting document in the history of Wilco. When they turned in Summer Teeth to their label reprise, the label sent it back and basically asked the band to write a song that could be used as a single. This record was a labor of Pro Tools love crafted by Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett, reminiscent of Pet Sounds, but with Cure synths and lyrics that hang in the same dark basement as Big Star's third. Tweedy worked with David Kahn, who produced Sugar Ray and the Bare Naked Ladies, to make a single, to placate to the record company. They stuck it on the front of the record, which commercially it was a smarter move to lead a record with a song like Can't Stand It than with Summer Teeth's original opener, She's a Jar, which is a song about domestic violence. But the ceiling for a band like Wilco was a place like XRT, this adult alternative station. Wilco was a mid-level seller, but they were a band that on a major label, it's like a badge of honor, a type of, we care about artist credit. They weren't the fucking wallflowers. Now, mind you, as we go through this history, I'm far from aware of what's going on. I've found my lane. My musical world is guided now by listening to every band that's name-checked in the Enema of the State liner notes. I just heard the Alkaline Trio. That's my world. But I saw Wilco in May of 2000 at a free concert at the end of a Chicago Fire game at Soldier Field. We were at this soccer game. We'd go to a bunch of Chicago Fire games back then. They were at Soldier Field. They were really cheap. And This Wilco concert, though, was 
at the end of it, it was obviously this huge bonus for the family to go. And I remember going to this poorly attended soccer game and suddenly people start filtering into the stadium in the last 15 minutes of the game because they're coming here to see Wilco. I found the set list, nothing unexpected, a pretty even mix of Summer Teeth being there, Mermaid Avenue, but it's funny to think all these years later that I saw them around the time that they were making this record, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. But most of my memories come down to the loud songs are cool, the slow ones, whatever. I wasn't ready for a band like Wilco when I was 13. Everything would come together after Yankee Hotel Foxtrot had been released, which by then, the saga of this record had been making its rounds. Span is given free reign by their label to make a record. They put themselves through this taxing creative process, which results in Jay Bennett, an original member of the band, being kicked out before the record's finished, but the record is finished, and the label rejects it. They call it unreleasable, a career killer. The band, worn thin not only from the process of making this thing, but still raw from going through this process only a couple years earlier, says this is the record. They part ways with their label. They leave with the masters to the record and eventually sign to a different one, Nonesuch, whose parent company, Time Warner, is also the parent company of Reprise, the label they just left. Time Warner pays to make this record and then buys it back from them. It's this modern morality play of art versus commerce, commerce being an industry which has become so increasingly tone deaf to the progress of the art it commodifies, fledgling in its attempts to quell a changing market which has found a workaround via file sharing and the internet and really is just a byproduct of this age of corporate mergers, but the art, fuck me, is this art. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot changed my life. I was 16, and here's this record, and it's challenging, and it's dark, and it's anxious, and it's very hummable. It's very pretty. The sounds and the textures they felt new, they felt classic. It was a Dada collage, it was humble Americana, it was rock and roll. The record and the story were just the beginning for me. Sam Jones' documentary, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, was a look inside. The story of making this record was crazy enough, but Jesus Christ, there were cameras on throughout it. The internet had demos. Lots of them. Three completely different versions of the song Camera. Incredible songs that didn't make it onto the final LP. Songs where only a chorus or a line would survive this intense scrutiny that went into crafting this masterpiece. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot opened up the doors for me to understand that that twang that Americana, that country music that I couldn't really stand before actually had really palatable tones. But one of the most tangible ways that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot changed my life 
was it changed the way I interacted with the records that I fell in love with. It sets the course of action that follows falling for something and then searching for context, even the tiny nuggets of information. And when that information isn't easy to find, well, sometimes you just have to say something like, hey, all right, welcome to the Better Yet podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. This podcast very quickly allowed me to fulfill the dreams that really start with this record, this idea that there is perspective to be gained on what goes into making a piece of art. And all of that was available in so many different genres, but in punk, it was lacking. And so I sought to find it. I don't know if I say it enough on here, but this show has been everything that I've always wanted. But I wasn't fully prepared for the amount of energy it gave me. And I made some friends doing this. Some lovely people who I was lucky enough to spend time with and ask questions about their art and where they come from. And I look at all these people with such a fondness. But I started, as we're getting 50, 60 episodes into this thing, I'm getting a little bummed about the fact that once the interview is over, that was it in terms of my capabilities to work with these people and to help share them with an audience. So the idea came up, a compilation popped in my head on a 6 a.m. bike ride to work. And it went from a comp, which was, yeah, just doing a comp is kind of boring though, to let's do a tribute comp. Let's do a tribute to a record. Let's do a tribute to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. All within 30 seconds. Just made sense. As a record that's so cherished and so heavily associated with Chicago, I knew it would be a project that would catch some eyes and gain a little bit of traction. And while it wasn't the most often discussed record on this show, it's only ever discussed with enthusiasm when it comes up. But then there's the side of this band, this band Wilco, which for younger people, people who weren't coming of age when Yankee was coming out, weren't already aware of them when Yankee was coming out, you grow up and Wilco's this established fact. They're a dad rock band, this like institution of kind of accepted pseudo alt rock which is not completely off base but comes from the triumph of yankee hotel foxtrot which is a record that was made by a band who had its back against the wall and they took a path and they took a unique path and stuck to it and some of the folks appearing on this podcast are here because of a love of wilco but others i sought out in hopes that they would challenge some of the preconceived notions that may be out there. That there was something more to this band. I think we did that. Actually, I can confidently say we did everything that I wanted to do since this idea came into my head. I'm so proud of this comp and of every one of my friends who took these songs and turned them into their own. 
these these are people that I've been lucky enough to get to know by doing this show and these are some of my favorite people making music on this earth I'm very grateful for them and to have this thing now forever so let's play the thing huh <laughs> we'll go, we'll do this. We'll play a couple tracks. We'll talk a little. I'll try to only disrupt if I got a real good reason for it. So let's get into it. The first track, I'm trying to break your heart from our favorite band from Buffalo. That's right. Bethlehem Steel took time out of making a new record to record this song. What I like about this performance is the way it builds. In contrast, the original, which is weird right out of the gate, this one is deliberate and tense. Total banger. Great way to start off the comp. So excited to share it. This is Bethlehem Steel. I'm trying to break your heart.
did and i'll start by saying something like well that was bethlehem steel with i'm trying to break your heart Mm. up top and then mikey erg coming through on camera i hit mikey (laughs) erg up now i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything negative on this podcast because this whole experience has been so great Mm. but i had somebody who was supposed to deliver Mm -hmm. and i you know, the, the, the people just have a way of falling off the face of the it earth. It happens, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I knew Mike Yerk loved this record, and mm. I said, out of nowhere, hey, Mikey, do you want to do camera? And he's like, oh, fuck yeah. It, it's going to take like a week. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. A week. That's <laughs> totally cool, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I can, I can deal with that. <laughs> and Evan... Lorich here returning to better yet. Welcome back. Thank you. And be back. Thank you so much for that cover that we just heard. Thank you for having me. Of Radio Cure, third track on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Mm -hmm. Now we talked when we talked about doing this, you kinda had you had the pick of the litter to an extent. I think I think there were a couple tracks that were taken Mm -hmm. and you chose this one. It's my favorite song on this record. I think it's my favorite Wilco song. It's altogether. unbelievable. Yeah. It's an unbelievable song. Do you remember when you heard it for the first time? I do. Yeah. I I remember it because I didn't like Wilco the first time I heard him. Yeah. I like, like yeah, the first time I heard uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was after I had already heard, I like bought Sky Blue Sky on a whim on uh-huh. CD just uh-huh. the day it came out and like didn't like it could not get into it and then that records it's got its moments mm-hmm. but it's a it's kind of a next phase of wilco yeah yeah and it like it wasn't until i don't know like it took me a while to come around to to like re- like caring about like song craft yeah at all just in general in my music listening so it's, it's a really well written <laughs> exactly record, yeah but it's not exactly gonna uh change your life in terms of you know lyrics on it sure sure yeah and even like i i I wasn't then and i have never been like much of a lyric focuser Uh but um yeah like after that yankee hotel came into my life at some point just like being at the top of all these like best albums of the decade list or whatever yeah um yeah like initially radio cure was the only song on the record that i liked um and it kind of like 
opened itself up to me over time. Like initially it was more like the, all the more like atmospheric weird tracks that I really yeah, enjoy. Like definitely radio cure and like poor places and mm-hmm. reservations and all those more kind of like formless, weird kind of less like rock and roll songs. Yeah. It's interesting when you, you know, you put it into context of I'm trying to break your heart. It's a really weird track. Yeah. That one too. Yeah. Camera's a little, uh, it's a little bit more straightforward, but there's something about just the pickup on that guitar that opens up Radio Cure mm. and the darkness that that song yeah. goes into. Yeah. It's It has a whole mood without doing a lot that really just sucks you in. Yeah, and it's so it's yeah, it's really it's a really dense atmosphere mm-hmm. on that song and one that's really like just like cryptic and weird. It's yeah. like a lot like heavy metal drummer, so like poppy and fun. I feel like I don't know. There are so many songs that have a way more specific vibe or atmosphere, and that one is just so complicated and weird. Yeah, <laughs> which is what I like so much about it. Yeah. So what I like about your track a lot is that you find you find that depth in a way that's a lot more in line to the type of music that you make mm. you get in you get in there in a in a similar way but it's not like you're replicating that you know nylon guitar string strumming pattern so i guess talk to me a little bit about building that and how you wanted to recreate this and maybe what you wanted to do differently yeah good question i um thanks man <laughs> i think like I guess, I guess maybe the, I, I kind of went into it just kind of, I think maybe knowing that I wouldn't be able to fully replicate the, the emotional breadth of that song. Um, I don't know, just because it like pivots across so many different things. It's like, there's like, I don't know, like desperation and like kind of creepiness and mm-hmm. like strangeness and also like a little bit of humor and like darkness lightness um but i guess like like the the prevailing vibe that i've always gotten off that song is just one of kind of like longing mm-hmm. which i think like longing nostalgia that that plays into what i try to do with mother evergreen really well yeah um yeah. and that whole that whole record that you made it's it's about that place yeah and that time in your life yeah yeah, and 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 that yeah, and that song specifically does such a good job of kind of like being this kind of like a, like a like a tone poem or something like that. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like lives in this zone. Um and I kind of wanted to emulate that atmospherically as much as I could. Um so did you start with the sounds that open it up like did you explore it more from a sonic perspective and then get into <clears throat> your vocal delivery after the fact did you kind of find a a lane there and then yeah 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 that's yeah the vocal delivery yeah i really didn't think that much about i think Mm -hmm. i kind of just went for it (laughs) but yeah i I knew i think i knew i wanted i wanted it to have uh like a like a dramatic arc of some kind Um, yeah and i love that you that you achieve that and you don't try to do it because i mean the the big moment on the original is him hitting that making love understandable 
where his voice kind of falters a little bit. It's yeah. like, that's the moment where you're just like, look at these fucking goosebumps. Just yeah, thinking about it. Yeah. But you, Man, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. find it, you find, and I guess like it's, I think smart on your part to not think to yourself like, all right, well, let me just try and do that. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm not going to achieve that. Mm-hmm. So how does the, how does the, I guess the building of it go too? Because it's like, we, we already got into like, the the dirges a little bit Mm -hmm. and now we're gonna find a way to make that arc that you're talking about yeah yeah i think there were i think there were a couple of things um that i wanted to sort of like uh maybe sort of like point at that the original song did one of them being like one of the things that i like so much is the way that it just kind of like like tumbles into the chorus Mm -hmm. (laughs) a little bit just like you're in the verse and then all of a sudden the chorus just shows up because it's 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 interesting how the pacing of it works too mm-hmm. because it's like picking apples for the kings and queens and things i never seen and then it's just like there's a couple chord changes in there but there's no rush to get there yeah. and then it's just a chorus it's yeah. just big yeah yeah you just kind of like look around and there you are yeah it's so cool yeah i want to i think i think i wanted to back that up as much as i could and then aside from that yeah like i'm i i mean generally i i th- i think i tended to stick to a way more like way fewer key changes than they did but there's like that part when when they're going from um the second verse into the last chorus Mm -hmm. that they move from like one chord change to another and that like gave me so much trouble just trying to figure out how to make that happen yeah (laughs) just kind of like one of the options was just a bunch of weird chord changes that like don't make a lot of harmonic sense or are just kind of like weird and like I like did that once and then I listened back to it and I was kind of like, I think this makes sense. <laughs> like, I think I've like, given what I feel about this song, I think, I think this is kind of appropriate. You found <laughs> just it. kind of yeah. stuck with it. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I like have yet to decide whether I think it's stupid or not, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Far I, I committed from and <laughs> stupid. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. Uh, that's, that's a relief. Oh, well, I love what you did. I love this was this was one of those that um, you sent this to me when I was at work and I remember getting the email and seriously just like dropping what I was doing, telling whoever I was working with, like, hey, I'm going to be like five minutes and then went downstairs in the basement at work and just listened to it and just had a fucking moment. Oh. <laughs> I love what you did. I'm really glad that you Thanks, chose man. this one. You too. Thanks for having me. And yeah, dude. It was so good to have you be a part of this. Chicago came correct on this Oof, fucking tell me about it. thing. Yeah. So now we're going to go from uh, one of the one of the most beautiful moments on the record to Meat Wave doing what I said exactly, which was, Chris, cover this song and make it a Meat Wave song. It's one of my favorite so things. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks again, dude. Thank you.
Stevenson with Jesus, etc. And I want to stop for a second there. We heard Meatwave doing War on War, uh, Laura's track, Meatwave's track, two songs which we dropped as singles in uh, the build for releasing this thing. And the flow of Mother Evergreen into Meatwave into Laura is one of my favorite things that happens on this comp. Meatwave just packs in this dark energy. And Laura, with such an unbelievable turn on the most popular song off of the original record, Laura's cover, uh, I pitched to her early, uh, and she said yes within a couple of hours, and then turned the song over within a couple of days. I was not expecting it to come in so soon, and was 
honestly a little worried uh, with the quickness of the turnaround. Maybe the track might be reflective of that. It might lack a little attention to detail. Obviously, I was very, very wrong about that. But Jay and I had not been seeing each other very long, and I was not working at the time, but I convinced her to ditch work early one day and meet me in Hyde Park. We went to a museum, drove back up towards my place, and that's when I got Laura's email with the song, and Jay and I went back to my place and listened to it, and I got just cried and it's one of those moments that it it stands out in my relationship and in the making of this comp and almost two years have passed in between that day and this one and I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon in a home I share with the person I love and I think that this track will always help me in collecting that inventory and hearing it then over and over again since all the time that passed, uh, all the time of wanting this thing to come out sooner but having setbacks along the way and there's worry in there, but all that time never really weighed too heavy because... This track, that Laura Stevenson cover, just shines so bright. And I was just able to realize that no matter what, this track is is going to be enough. And that's not to say that anyone took the chance to slouch because everyone delivered, including Walter, etc. Up next here with Ashes of American Flags. The cash machine is blue and green for a hundred and twenties and a small service fee. I could spend three dollars and sixty three cents on Diet Coca Cola and unlit cigarettes. Without a key 
good to go cool which is the and for me this is wild to see matt jordan is here talking about a track that we're going to discuss in Mm -hmm. just a second just before that we heard walter etc doing ashes of american flags uh which you haven't heard yet but i'm going to tell the people who just did who are listening to this podcast (laughs) that we're recording right now that walter or dustin came over to do the podcast and the name of the band is Walter, etc. So I'm like, all right, there's probably a Wilco thing going on here, yeah. right? And <laughs> then he mentioned that, and I was like, okay. During the interview, mentioned that and noted, and I'm like, all right, let me, uh, after we're done here, we'll talk about something. And I was like, hey, I'm working on this comp. Like, you want to you wanna do it? Also, yeah. here's the Laura Stevenson track. And he's like, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I do want to do it. But Matt Jordan of Lifted Bells, you and I, there. aside from my father who did this show, I haven't known anybody that sat in front of a microphone as long as I've known you. Yeah. All the way back, I was 17. You were freshman in 
in high school. High school. Yeah. No, we met in school. we met in middle school. We did. I was in sixth grade at Hannah Beardsley Middle School. Uh huh. You were in eighth grade. Yeah. At Hannah Beardsley Middle School. Oh my god. And that's the first time I ever met you, because oh. you came up to me in the hallway. Uh huh. And you were like, "You're Kenny Jordan's little brother." Oh no. Like you could just tell by the look of me oh no and uh i was like yeah i am dude what's up and that's how we first met (laughs) see here's the thing and i know that we've been talking about wanting to do one of these for a while yeah and i i feel like i should explain like publicly that i'm not i'm not giving you the runaround when i say i really want you to do this (laughs) but it's I, i i think about this and then you started to tell that story, and it's just the dread of, oh no, what did what did shitty fourteen year old Tim say? And dude, I'm like, oh, I, I dude, don't shitty fourteen year old everybody. I know is shitty. I would have like dread about something like that too, but I, uh, I don't know, man. I've forgotten all that shit. Well, that's good. Like, no, no, no I don't even, I don't even remember if there was a Hannah shit. Beardsley Middle Cause, School. Yeah, because the first. That was my first year in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Yeah. Was my sixth grade year. Interesting. So I came in fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, in. I didn't know anybody. Uh-huh. So like for a lot of that year, I was just figuring it out. Dude, I moved in uh, my my first year there was in seventh grade. Yeah. But by eighth grade, like I'd made friends. Yeah. I'd gotten a little confident. And oh, God, eighth yeah. graders. Oh. Yeah. Right? But hey, if you've moved on then uh, I'll try. I'm still working on it. <laughs> but I'm really excited to have you over to talk about the track that we're about to play right now, which I believe I got in touch with you. And did I say, do you? would you like to do this song? I think you gave me a choice of maybe two songs. Yeah. And I was so happy that Heavy Metal Drummer was one of them. And because I was really, like yeah. compositionally I was like, oh, we can Lifted Bells can do some shit with this for and, sure. And I was really happy that that you chose that one too because, you know, I envisioned it and then it it was funny how all of the check marks just started to happen where it's like, oh, Bob would sing the shit out of this. Oh, this would just sound really good. Oh, they're going to do something fun with the guitars on this one. And, and you did. And, and you and I were just talking about the studio that you operate with Adam Uh and Evan, which just so happens to be the studio where probably half of this stuff was recorded. We ended up doing a lot of it. And also Evan's not, a partner in the studio we did his record there uh-huh and he's like obviously one of me and adam's like best friends well, I mean, we've I'm been collaborating Lorich, forever though. evan lorich does he no that, we're, okay no okay. it's actually adam uh-huh uh who you know plays with evan and right right Evergreen. uh but then it's uh josh parks uh-huh from slow mass which yeah. is probably why their tune was friend of the there. show and then uh rod palma is also the other partner there. No, I don't think I know Rod. Uh, he played bass in uh, Saves the Day. Well, still does. Um, and uh, Oh, he, yeah, that he, narrows the list down to he, about one of 25 people on the planet, he, right? Yeah, right. And he toured as uh, Into It Over It's touring bass player. Oh, okay. Um, after, you know, it was like Evan and me and Owen Mallon and uh-huh. Nick Joachim. Right, were that like was like the That OG touring lineup, cast right? for a second. Well, yeah. I mean... Not really, like, Evan was the OG lineup. Uh, yeah, for sure. after Nick was like, 
you know, I'm a doctor now. And Evan's uh-huh. like, I'm a big booking agent. I'm moving to L.A. Or Owen was, rather. Uh-huh. And uh, I was, you know, working a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah, we ended when up. When you were still doing the, the basement studio. Right, Which, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about going all the way back to Crystal Lake. I was a client at that you studio. Were. I remember recording um, a slide Telecaster part on a song of yours that I'm still proud of. You know what? That was a really good part. And I remember you busted that out so quick. And I was so impressed. And I remember we were playing music together when you were young. And you were like, I think I want to get into recording. And I was like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> Never listen to me about anything. <laughs> but but you and, and Lifted Bells, you did this track together. And I mm-hmm. think I was roasting coffee one day. And then you were up there and I got to come in and listen to it. Yeah. I had all these unique experiences with all of these songs coming in. That was one that I just got to sit and listen to and just watch everything happen. Yeah. So tell me about, I mean, going back, were you a Wilco fan when you were in high school? Do you remember getting into yeah, Wilco? Late, it was like uh, late high school when I stopped caring about what was punk enough to like. And right. I like sort of shed that whole like, you know, skin that like keeps you from a admitting what you really like and be like exploring that further. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the sort of like Wilco style, like indie rock was always like once I was getting more and more into recording the production on those things, it's just like so much more interesting than listening to. Yeah. Here's absolutely. the drums. Here's the bass. Here's the guitars sort of thing. Um, so and then in college. I, you know, went to audio engineering school and say what you will about that. Like mm-hmm. it was probably a waste of money and time and I should have been recording bands for four years. But I did have um, a master class teacher named Chris Brickley who actually had worked on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, no way. So I like picked his brain so much. And uh, yeah, I've been a big fan ever since. So what do you, what do you got? What do you, you got any nuggets of information that you can share? Uh with talking to him he said that he thought he's like i couldn't believe that record got so big because there were way too many cooks in the kitchen and it sounds like it yeah so i think there was like a lot of frustration during that recording process and they would like build it up and break it down and build it up and break it down but i think that going through that process really filtered out all the bullshit and it became like this perfectly cohesive weird off the wall thing yeah it's like it's like a cult classic movie that has like a following now absolutely i i love this track in that record because it's after so much darkness yeah it just comes in with that drum Mm -hmm. and just a really really good summary song yeah so when you were recording it i guess what did you really want to do with your own take on it, knowing the strengths that your band has? Yeah. I think that, I mean, the my one of my favorite parts about the version that we did is something that's always bothered me about that song, specifically on the original recording, is that after that little drum intro, there's no sort of like hooky, like guitar riff or anything before the vocals come in it's just sort of like this like empty space Mm -hmm. so like the first thing i did was write that guitar riff after the drum intro that that comes in and it's like totally not it has nothing to do with the original song Mm -hmm. it's like nowhere to be found it's a completely new thing but it's also like a totally lifted bells thing 
to do to That's have such like a, a cool lifted like, bells line. Yeah. Yeah. Some hot licks. Oh, I, I fucking loved it. <laughs> I got so pumped the moment I heard that. Because, yeah, it's like the original comes in and it's just like, all right, there's like four acoustic guitars just playing the same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what leads you into it. But it's such a nice little, yeah, you latch onto that hook and then you're in a fucking band with Bob Nana. Sure. Yeah. And... I Bob has such a warmth to his voice too. Yeah. It just fits. He's such so a pro. Well. He's yeah. a pro. Yeah, I think we double tracked all of his vocals too, which yeah. also he's such a pro at. If you hear Bob's solo, like one vocal, uh-huh. if you hear that, you're like, oh man, this kind of sounds like Bob Nana. But then you hear the doubled version of the exact same thing, you're like, oh, that's Bob. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's. So we definitely did that on the track. But. So was the was the construction of it? Did you? Because I, I know you can play everything. Yeah. Did everybody everybody contribute parts? Or everybody you, contributed yeah. parts. Yeah. So what we did was, um, Seth is like a super busy guy and plays in a million bands and mm-hmm. you know helps run a, his own studio and is touring all the time. So I think he only had like three hours originally to like make the drums work. So I set up a drum kit in the same room as the computer. We've since added another room to that space, like Uh a live room. Oh, cool. So the studio is like twice the size now. But originally it was all in the same room. So I just set up, you know, an overhead mic and a kick and a snare sort of um, just near, just right across from the computer. Mm -hmm. I set a rough tempo and I told him I want sort of like a, you know, a snare on the two and the four groove Mm -hmm. i know i want to try a halftime thing for the second verse which turned out really cool oh it's so sick Uh, i love that you did uh, that and i um i need you to do a couple fills that are like have the sort of i think he did those chops like the pause is like bat bat Mm -hmm. going into the chorus and that was the impetus for like everything that we did for like the feedback going into those parts and stuff but i ran a click track i left the room for an hour uh-huh. I think I had him make markers in Pro Tools whenever he did something nice. Just come over and hit the enter key twice if it's no something shit. he really wants to keep. Uh-huh. I came back like an hour later. He's like, oh, yeah, there's enough, totally enough there to work with. And then I just took those drum tracks and assembled the base of the song out of that. I love that. Yeah. So then after that, we just had this like sort of foundation in this blank canvas to start laying stuff over it uh-huh. within the confines of the basic structure of the song that's such a that's it's funny because yeah you know going back to the idea of too many cooks there's so much cutting and pasting and i remember tweety in an interview saying that yankee hotel foxtrot can't be remastered because it's seriously just like a whole bunch of tapes just like kind of in sync with each other and that's how they did it yeah i love that and yeah i'm sure that you were like all right I want you to do self-titled Blink-182. Just play drums, and, yeah. and we'll take care of it from here. <laughs> but yeah, I love... Because this is like this is the pop song yeah. on the record, really. Yeah. And I really just love the way that you have these accents, that little hook, and it just yeah. adds to all the fun of all of it. Yeah, and we tried, you know... Like, basically, Seth's such a good drummer, it's like... He, I feel like he does his best work when you just get the fuck out of his way mm-hmm. and let him do his thing. So yeah. we did that, but then it left us so much room to like for me to work basically with each person 
to like do their parts and then sort of getting together for a couple of group sessions to add like little like Wilcoe bits to it. Like there's like sure. a really low like sub synth baseline mm-hmm. in there that's like sort of like the original where it's just kind of like do 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 that pulses yeah. like if you really listen like through the whole song and sort of weaves in and out of like the bass guitar line that Kyle played. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have to yeah. tune in on that. If you one. listen like really closely in headphones, really toward the end of the song, you can hear what it sounds like and once you have it in your head what it sounds like, you can go back and listen. It's pretty much in the whole track. Yo. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to it after you leave. But all you, you don't have to go anywhere. You can just listen to it right now. This is Lifted Bells, Heavy Metal Drummer. What a good take!
Bells doing heavy metal drummer and see through dresses with I'm the man who loves you. I love the way that one turned out. The homie Matt Carroll, another Matt who played guitar and engineered a cover, he just went for it on that guitar solo at the end, just takes that ball and runs with it. And we're here now with another guest. Here we are. I first of all, Julia Steiner. Yes of Rat Boys and the Better Yet Hall of Fame <laughs> and <laughs> contributor to uh, track number nine of this goddamn comp that we're about to get to. First of all, how's your summer going? It's going really good. I uh, 
I can't believe that it's already June. I guess that's just how it goes. It started late, right? Yeah, well, we uh, I've missed the beginning of summer because we left for uh, the first half of the pup tour on like April 23rd. Okay. And it was yeah. still pretty cold. You know, that's how Chicago spring is. I remember we went to a Cubs game like two nights before we left and it was like 30 Yo, degrees. Those are, those are so it was rough. Awful. I remember going, I did two Cubs games in a row. Uh, the beginning of the season a few years ago. First one, I'm out there, sleeveless T-shirt, just like <laughs> feeling it in the sun. And then I go the next day and I wear the same exact outfit and I'm freezing. Yeah. Terrible. It, it was super cold. Um, so we did that and then we just left. And by the time we got back at the end of May, it was nice. So, right. yeah, we, you're, we're back. You're back, and you're and you're hanging out just for a little bit, and then you're going and you're finishing up this tour. Yep. And I seen you. I said, oh, God, I seen you at the Metro. It was my first activity. Yes. Oh, my God. That made me so happy. That was fun. That was the last night of that first leg. You so was... were all like, man, you're just playing like you know it. Like you know what you you know what you got, and you got this this energy that's like a little bit of – kind of the end of tour thing where you I was you you didn't have a set list I could tell you were kind of picking them at the time yeah let's we, play this one we uh kind of changed the set list on the fly yeah <laughs> in the middle of the set because my some of my gear was like breaking during that set well so you know what it came crazy. off like it came <laughs> off like like yeah well let's fucking let's just do whatever we want That's here cool. this is our hometown show um but I don't know if you remember but Two summers ago, you came to my apartment. You played the Better Yet Live show. I do remember. And then afterwards, we talked in the kitchen. I said, hey, would you want to do this this comp, this yeah. Wilco comp? And I, I can say this. I can say this. Um, I mean it, too. Is if, if you didn't say, if you and Dave didn't say, yeah, we'd be down to do this, this wouldn't have happened. Damn. Well, I'm glad I said yes. I'm glad it exists. I mean, I there's no way that we ever would have said no. Because Wilco's one of my favorite bands in the world, and their this record specifically is how I got into Wilco in the first place. So, yes. so it's exciting, and that that's that's good to know too. What like bring me into that time? How did you come upon it? Like, yeah, it was well. I I didn't get into it right when it came out because mm-hmm. I was only like nine <laughs> when yeah, it came out, right. which is crazy. But uh, so when I was like in seventh or eighth grade, I remember. Um, like the cable program that my parents had had like an on-demand section okay and it had some really cool music videos and like music content in there mm-hmm. uh which i don't know how things are now with cable on demand but i feel like it was super loaded right right so i remember one day probably on a weekend i was just you know messing around scrolling through that on the tv and i discovered um what's that song lazy eye by silver sun pickups music uh-huh. video yeah and then right after that mind blown feeling great uh there was like i don't think the full doc but a substantial clip of the i'm trying to break your heart documentary yeah and i just went into that completely blind not knowing what this band was and uh being like whoa this is some this is some fucked up energy like this is pretty things are like compelling right yeah so i uh so do you remember what part of it was because i mean i think there's there's a lot of different chunks of that which you know can i've been thinking obviously a lot about this record and there was so much that i latched onto and just that amount of context for me was huge in in just 
the way I experienced this entire record, but I mean, there, you know, there's the turmoil, there's the, the infighting that's happening, but then there's also, you know, that period of where they're just deconstructing things. They're that's what it was. I think it was like the communication breakdown moment yeah. where they were like getting caught on a really small mixing detail and it just totally like derailed their whole day yeah and as a person who had never attempted to record anything or ever been in that sort of like situation uh it just seemed like such a like interesting conflict that i couldn't really relate to but i just it it drew me in for some reason it's so heated and it's so thick and it's so like why does this matter and actually like asking that question you kind of get to the heart of where most of the parties involved are you know kind of stuck on and all that it's like why does this matter and i think i could also immediately pick up on the fact that like god this is really really intimate like Mm -hmm. i if this were me i would be so maybe not embarrassed but just like self-conscious of the fact that this is like on a 12 year old's on demand and like this is like anywhere in the world you know what i mean like yeah that was such an intimate moment that they captured and is now like you know set in like amber forever so did that compel you to be like well now i gotta i gotta know what this record is i gotta hear it i mean definitely like her it wasn't just that part of the doc that i got to see like i feel like i haven't watched that documentary in probably maybe since then yeah. but i just remember that the music came through too like it, whether it was oh, in the like, background or like they got to other mixing points where they were like we were actually hearing elements of the song so. some of my favorite parts of it where it's just like you know he's doing he's doing a, a take a camera that sounds nothing like yeah camera yeah it's so cool i i i remember being compelled by the actual like tiny snippets of the music that was in there too and then went to check it out and my best friend liz who was a person that I was kind of like my not my mentor but just like my foil like we would send mm-hmm. music to each other all the time and Wait, she is already she the, is she the you're just a rap boy uh she, yeah she she Hell came yeah. up with rap boy yeah uh-huh. my my best friend Liz and to still to this day we like get show each other music and stuff but she already knew about them and so I was like oh okay well, right thanks for letting me know but yeah so that kind of solidified it in my brain is like okay this is awesome like i'm gonna like this and it's was it like i guess i think what's interesting in in thinking about this band and sort of like a a post retrospective because you know you and i are a few years apart Mm -hmm. and, and there's a big difference in in that gap especially at that time um because being in high school all of this stuff was happening and it was like you kind of couldn't not hear about it yeah and then for you like kind of hearing about it and coming into it after the fact but were you were, were there things that you were listening to around that time that like you think set you up for oh this band is doing a thing that's similar like i can follow this or you know i think for a lot of people this is one of the big gateway bands into the textures that happen on this record yeah. and that folk leaning thing I think it might have been more the latter for me. I'm trying to remember, like, this is it. I feel like this is definitely the most, like, art, artful or, like, uh, maybe even sophisticated record that I, like, was into at the time. Yeah. Because, like, uh, as far as I think this must have been in, like, 2006 or something. Sure, like, yeah. Whenever Care Novice by Silver Sun Pickups came out. Because uh-huh. I remember that song was, like, brand new. Right. When I saw that. 
right before I saw the the Wilco clip. But yeah, I I think I was listening to like a lot of like Coldplay, which I still love, like the early Coldplay stuff and like um God, I was listening to a lot of like folk music, like A.A. Yeah. A. Bondi and uh So yeah, it's you're like ripe for it. Yeah, exactly. Like I I feel like this was the first like band with like lots of poetics and like folk stuff going on but just all this extra stuff too i yeah i think i was i you know was ready made as a fan yeah for, for sure this band. <laughs> so and, and this is your favorite song on the record because you yeah. had when when we talked like there are there are some people on here where i said i want you to do this track i don't even care if you like this band or not yeah. i want you to do it i want it to sound like you but you and and Evan uh, were a few of the people where I was just like, here, just take whatever yeah. you want. And you picked this one. Yeah, I was so, like I said, there was no way we were going to say no to this, even if there were only like two songs left to choose from, whatever. But then when I found out that we got first dibs, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, like this, this is going to be awesome because now we get to do Pocket of Black, which is my favorite song. So what, what is it about Pocket of Black? Because for, for me... That's a little bit of a an outlier. Really? Yeah. Oh, but I've, I think that that's kind of that's kind of great. For right? sure. Well, I mean, it totally is. Like, I mean, it's a solid B side. It's like track track nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really love the wordplay. I love the lyrics. I find them very relatable in my own life. Yeah. I myself have found a real rival in myself. Just uh-huh. self defeating, but still hopeful. Right. It's it's awesome and the it's kind of one of those songs that i never knew how to play it it wasn't just chords like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff going on i mean he is strumming like chords on acoustic guitar but there's all these extra elements and i know now that he it's in drop d which is why i never would have really learned how to play it growing Uh up because i like just now got into drop d which is kind of insane to admit because I've been playing guitar for like more than 10 years. Yeah, but... you haven't been shredding long <laughs> enough is what it sounds like. Exactly. So I, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like growing up, there's always some music that obviously it's music, but it just sounds like something so special and other and like beyond the scope of what I could create. Right. And it just has like a special place in my head. So what? how was it then, I guess, to kind of experience playing a song like this? from that ground up level where it's like you got to you got to learn the chords and then you got to figure out how you and Dave are going to yeah. play it together. It was awesome. Yeah. It, well, yeah, cuz like I had always kind of just let this song exist in that like special place where I didn't even attempt to break it down or like figure out how it could be played cuz it just I didn't want to know. Like I just wanted it to exist in this like strange like ethereal other place yeah in the world and so but then when it came time to do this you know looked up a youtube vid of jeff playing it alone and i was like oh it's in drop d like that's a big clue mm-hmm. i i don't think i played it the same way that he does uh i didn't really like try that hard to figure it out but i think it's approximately correct and as far as all the other elements i was like okay like now that I'm now that I've totally like sacrificed the mystique of this song and like just gone for it, like to learn it the the foundation of it myself, we should just like be faithful and try to recreate some of these elements because yeah. they're so like integral to the song. Yeah, I really like the way you all like hit the pauses. Yeah. The way that they do and the way 
Dave's guitar comes in at like just a pitch perfect yeah. replication of that tone on that electric guitar. Yeah, we got lucky. Yeah. And my acoustic guitar, I swear to God, I don't know. Like I had bought this acoustic like a few weeks before we recorded this the cover mm-hmm. and it sounds so similar to the tone on the the song the original song i was like wow like i wonder what kind of guitar he used to record it probably isn't the, obviously it's not the same one but right i was really psyched that was like a happy accident <laughs> so and you you recorded it um at 4200 uh which i'm sure by the by the point that we're at in this uh you know podcast about the compilation <laughs> i'll have mentioned the fact that it's the building that i work in and, and a lot of the covers were recorded in that in mm-hmm. that same place you did it with you do it with adam adam recorded it yeah and evan who did radio cure uh uh-huh. played drums and some keyboards too yeah so he helped a lot so and th- that's just like that's fun. That's good energy. You had, yeah. you just were able to like have a good time doing it and mm-hmm. keep that. You know, you you, you mentioned like uh, the one line that you really identify with. Were there you know any other like I guess little intricacies that you kind of found yourself being like, oh, God, I would I like this so much more now in doing this cover. Hmm. Um, I was kind of. I wasn't nervous about it, but I was kind of excited about the challenge of, uh, I don't know, I think it's the third verse technically, where on the original recording, it changes. I don't remember how it changes. Like, they do lots of really special stuff, like, in the production of this song and the whole album to, like, kind of change things up all the time in really subtle ways. And so... That happened on the third verse, and we were like, okay, we need to do something like that, too. And so we were able to do this thing where Evan just, like, played drums like a crazy person without any, he, like... He loses it a little. Yeah. yeah, right. And then it came back in with this, like, water drum, which is that, like, dum 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was cool to have that part be, like, a total blank canvas and kind of... Uh, like It's just so interesting. That I don't know... Maybe through the documentary, we can kind of get into their heads about how how they made the record. But I imagine so much of it is that sort of feeling where it's yeah. like a blank canvas that you can just like paint on with lots of different textures. Whereas like when we record songs, it's usually so much more like like uh, I don't know. You got to get in there and like kind of get it. Yeah, and we have like it have plans. Uh-huh. Like we like, you know, demo things out to the point where we're. You know, I I think that just is how Jeff Tweedy works like a lot is that it's more spontaneous in the studio, which is really cool. I mean, it's I one of the there there's a thousand ironies in that whole saga of the way this record you know comes out and doesn't come out and then comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that it starts with a blank check and an infinite amount of, you know, resources to make whatever record that they yeah. want to make. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's, it kind of makes me wish that everybody had that resource or something similar, because I would love to be able to, you know, have the bands that I care about now or make, I just would love like, anybody like given a month and a big budget to just do it and to create yeah it's mainly having the time yeah because like usually for any 
band any band pretty much you know you're limited to a certain amount of time in the studio and so you want to get good takes right away so that you can have as much time as you can to add things later or mix and stuff but it I feel like I don't know it was really cool recording this cover to kind of not have a plan going in for all the parts yeah and making decisions on the fly just based on what we felt like turned out awesome you should cool. you should turn the the house that you're living in now into like the rat boys loft and we're just trying <laughs> do it yeah it's it's uh it sounds better today than it did you know two months ago hell yeah but um thank you so much yeah thanks for having me for coming back and and for for all that you've done for uh, for me and, and for Chloe and for this podcast and this project. You're welcome. Thank you for having me back again. It's I'm just so psyched to be on this comp. Really honored. So Hell yeah, can't dude. wait for everyone to hear it. All right. Well, here's Rap Boys. Pockettle Black. <laughs>
So that's it. That's the end of the album proper. We heard Rat Boys doing Pot Kettle Black, Adult Mom with a wonderful turn on Poor Places. Adult Mom is here in Chicago tonight. I can't wait to see Steph. I love the lo-fi energy on Poor Places. And then, of course, closing it out, Reservations from Chicago Slow Mass, which we're stopping now to talk about. Dave Collis is here. Hi. Now, Dave is, I've had some fine folks over at this point, people who've contributed to this uh, compilation, and everybody that's come over so far is big-time Wilco people. But you, on the other hand, you were a person that I reached out to, and your relationship with Wilco was... Not entirely a fan. Not entirely a <laughs> fan. And, and that's good. That's okay. I mean, honestly, not to get too, like, uh, you know. It, it, was, it was prematurely judged on my part. And I think that that's a good thing and a good thing that of I course. have kind of brought up in, in discussing this record with people. Yeah. Is the fact that, for me, I remember when this record came out. I remember the whole saga. I remember Wilco before this record sure and you know now at this point it's been such a told and retold heavily mythologized story Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. for however many years since then wilco has been this big established rock act you should have heard her on rick mcguire's and i imagine she's just going crazy i mean i love it that's great um and i thought that that was kind of an interesting framework to work with um 
you know, some of the bands of of our age range, mm-hmm. the fact that Wilco has been so established for such a long time that it's really easy to kind of grow up, see that it's happening and just be like, yeah, that's that's a thing for my uncle or my dad. Yeah, I mean, when that record was big uh, and when I think like just their general peak in popularity hit, I would say my perception is that the demographic was meant for like uh, early to mid 20 year olds and up. And I was 10 years old. Right. (laughs) You know, not, not, not to show my age too hard, but there is a certain point when like I was too young to be of the age range where I was exploring music far deep in the past. And that didn't really come into play until, you know, later in high school and stuff. I feel like also too, as you go from 10 years old into your twenties, it's not like you fall into that age range. It's just like that age range has continued to go upwards. And that too. And they, and they, definitely my perception of them prior was that they were just like an americana dad rock band so now why would i in thinking of who i want to perform for this compilation why would i think to talk to someone like yourself and we're gonna we're gonna ignore the fact that you're a great homie you've been a wonderful supporter of course of this show and i love the show um, but the reason that I hit you up was I hit you up about this song specifically. Mm-hmm. I said, here's what I'm doing. I want you to do this song because there's so much drone here. There's so much noise. Y'all are really good at making noise. I'd like to see you take it. Right. And what you sent me floored me. Because Thank you. it's a beautiful cover that sounds nothing like what I hit you up about doing. Right. So when you heard the song initially, I guess, what was your perception of it? Because that's fun to, to trace, too, when you're you know also coming in with expectations of what this band is. Sure. So I was already familiar with Sky Blue Sky in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I had seen enough videos and stuff, so... I I will say that, yes, I had a preconceived notion, but that notion isn't entirely a fallacy. It's more of that they are like an Americana dad band that secretly is like very weird and very sad. Yeah. And I wasn't privy to witnessing that side of them. Sky Blue Sky is a record that wouldn't really indicate too much of that either. It's a great record. Yeah, I like it. But it doesn't have that side of it that's prevalent on Yankee and Ghost is Born and other things. Yeah. Um, But just hearing it, I don't know. When I hear music that has drone or noise, I don't... I obviously enjoy it and I get something out of it, but I kind of gravitate to whatever like melodies and stuff are in it first. Uh-huh. So when I hear something like Wilco or the microphones or another artist where there is, you know, this giant palette of sounds and, you know, an entire world built, I still hear or kind of gravitate to what the focus is of it. And then further out hear how, those textures are 
built upon yeah. rather than starting from the outside textures coming in. Yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm the same way. And I, I, have, I had a conversation recently with my dad about, uh, about Albini and he's, he's like, well, shellac, where do you start? And right. we, we get into that. And I'm like, I like Albini a lot. Um, his kind of approach is, is so anti melody and I love the noise, but I need the melody to lead into noise i need the melody to be there kind of guiding it and that's what that's how you know wilco was one of those bands that expanded what noise can do for something melodic and especially something that's sad like this track yes and no i i will i will still say this that i feel like wilco had all of those elements i don't know if the bands that are influenced by wilco took that part totally which which i think further falls into why i had those preconceived notions that they weren't that type of band yeah i think it's kind of like one of those things where uh where people have the hits that they take from and are really catchy and obviously like really fun songs but then the noise parts aren't uh that's not what's elaborated on that's not it's not what's elaborated on it's not as jarring or uh you know, dissonant or trying to push the audience away. Like the pop elements are very much pulling them in like so much more. Right. Um, but yeah, that being said, I just thought the song was really beautiful and it was a really sad song. And then trying to figure out how to uh, record a cover, watched a lot of live videos, which is where he translates the piano part to the acoustic guitar, which is why we did that. Uh huh. And then there's all those cool weird it's not really like drum parts but kind of like auxiliary percussion manipulation there's there's like some live videos from oh i don't know what year but the drummer has those like timpani toms where you have like a hose going into the tom yeah and you like blow in and out of it and it like pushes the heads and like changes the pitches yeah and he was like doing weird things like that so we just we didn't do the same, but we did like a bunch of like weird layers, bought a bunch of weird percussion toys and did weird drone ideas. Like we still did this weird drone thing that's like kind of prevalent towards the second half where uh, there is like a drone loop on my guitar or one of the guitars that we recorded in addition to a snare sitting on the ground with the wires on that's just buzzing against uh, it. Uh-huh. So there is like weird things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That had to be a lot of fun. It was fun. Do you um do you tend to experiment like that with your recordings or is that something that has developed more since on watch? Because the On Watch was definitely the start. Yeah. Well there are elements in the EP, especially the last song. The last song on the EP was definitely the me in the studio <laughs> to everyone. I have this very weird idea that I can't really articulate and I need to, I need you all to let me try and create this idea. And yeah. everyone was just like really patient and letting it develop. Have you um, gotten better at articulating that? I'm always interested in, in I think that. it depends on the thing. I think right. if I have a, a clear idea like demoed in advance which is kind of how I work now where I try and have everything. I try to have a loose presentation of what I want the final thing so that someone could be, someone could get a scope of the picture I want to paint. Yeah. 
So tell me about because you recorded some of this at your practice space, and then some of them, uh, some of the stuff is picked up in in different places. This this is just a recording that sounds like it's there's just a big room surrounding it. Like there's a really like lovely kind of natural reverb to all of yeah. that. Um, I don't want to reveal the name of the place because of uh, safety, uh-huh. which sounds weird. Okay. But uh, one of my jobs, I do sound at a synagogue on yes. the weekends, and they let us use the piano in the space, and they just have a really beautiful sanctuary. That piano, yeah. It's all giant wooden walls, and we did a bunch of crazy room mic setups, like set whatever, you know, 30 feet away in, in the middle of the, the sanctuary. I love it. I love it, too. I was really happy we got to use it. That definitely tied everything together. Yeah. So, what did the what did the rest of the band think of it? Was it kind of something that you had to sell them on? Like, I want to do this thing, and let's just for, make it happen for the or? piano. No, or for, for the, the cover. For the cover. Everyone was down. Yeah. Um, I think it was just like Tim asked us to do this song. Uh, the song sounds cool. It's for a good reason. Yeah. And everyone's game and Mercedes is uh, like classically trained a piano. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely incredible at it. And we've wanted to figure out ways to incorporate it ahead of time in other songs. So I was really stoked that this was the first recording that we were able to utilize that. And that element really tied everything together. I really like the way it pairs with the track that you released. The seven inch. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah, and we were so excited about the cover that I asked you if we could release it in addition with the seven inch. Yeah, I think that that well that worked out to our benefit because I think that helped me get in touch with Stereo Gum. So thanks for doing that. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate you doing this and taking part in it, and and really just uh, I think from from the beginning uh, deciding that. It was something that you wanted to, well, at least humor me with and sure. let me talk you into yeah. and then following through. And then, I mean, I have, I, I remember each one of these tracks coming in because it's, it's just exciting to me. It's like, yeah. it's, this is finally happening. And, mm-hmm. and this is one of the ones that will always stand out because it was so far from what I expected and I, I couldn't ask for anything more. That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for coming by and talking to me. Of course. Um, Damn, now I get to talk about the track Marcus and I did, but I'm going to wait till you leave. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And leave he did. Left his coat here, too. Had to come back and leave again, and here we are now, and we get to talk about a song that I recorded with Marcus Nuccio, another Better Yet Hall of Famer. Marcus did the cover art. For the comp, uh, Marcus has done all the logos and graphic design for the show, and he and I took a day to record this song, which was one of the demos from the Yankee Sessions. It's listed as not for the season. Uh, was released on the first Loose Fur record, which is Tweety, Glenn Cochi, and Jim O'Rourke's band. The song's officially titled laminated cat the loose fur version is a prodding seven minutes but the wilco version is full band very off the cuff and i thought we'd try to split the difference so it was a lot of fun i messed with the lyrics a little and i guess i feel a little strange contributing to my own compilation but it would have come off a little more inconspicuous 
if the plan of having several demo tracks covered on here had uh, come together, but we won't get into the reasons why that didn't happen. Only good things today. Here's the track. Time comes and the leaves are back on the trees again. The snipers are harder to see, my friend. Hiding in the deep and weeding out the weak. And summer comes, gravity undoes. Are you happy because the lovely way the sunshine bends? Hiding from the close friends, weeding out the weekend. Candy left over from Halloween The unified theory of everything Love left over from lovers leaving Books they all know they're not worth reading It's not for the season When autumn comes, sit in your chair Stare TV square Hiding in the deep And weeding out the weekend Winter comes Days all starlit There's motion on the boughs Where the dark shapes prowl Feeling out the feeling Feeling all your feelings Candy left over Left over from lovers leaving Books they all know they're not worth reading It's not for the season Candy left over from Halloween The unified theory of everything Love left over from lovers leaving Books they all know they're not worth reading Maybe you're my inspiration 
Magazine called Sunset Dirts, supremely talented musician from Chicago who should play more often. Dirts is also one of the biggest Wilco fans I know, so I had to see if he'd be down to do a track. And with the demos being fair game, he took this one, one of his favorites. Happy to have him be a part of it. And that's it. That's the compilation. That's all of God's money. It is available on our Bandcamp page, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. It'll cost you $5 for a download, and that money will go to help support the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. It would be so wonderful if all of you would be able to pick up a download for yourselves, share it with your friends, maybe some people in your life who are Wilco fans who aren't keyed into this world of music. Give them a chance to hear something new or someone who would come in from the opposite direction, tweet about it. We're there at Better Yet Pod. Instagram is better.yet. Facebook is facebook.com slash better yet podcast. Share it, like it, cross post it. Help us get the word out. This has been such a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times to all the bands, to Marcus, Alex Burns from Mastering, Scott Southerd, our internet guru, Evan Lorge for stopping by, Matt Jordan, Julius Steiner, Dave Collis. Thanks, Mom, Dad, Chloe, and Lily. Thank you, Jay, for your love, your enthusiasm, and your support. And thank you all for listening, for allowing this all to happen. And geez, now what do we leave on? We've played so many songs already. I think this one will work. Come back next week! Thanks for listening.
Thank you very much.